Welcome to the Stuck Mike podcast, the podcast created for all pilots new and old. My name is Tim and each episode alongside guests and regulars Davey, Robin and Gary, we will be bringing you honest and open content from inside the world of aviation. Our aim is to create a global community for conversation and support and to tailor the content to you, the listener, over each series. We bring you this podcast remotely as currently we are all grounded due to this pandemic. We sincerely hope that you find interest, support and enjoyment from the content. We aim to cover topics such as Corona, mental health, failure and recruitment in this series as we focus on the world of aviation right now and what we hope the future holds. If you're enjoying this podcast, please like, review and share it as it allows us to create a larger community. Now, on with the podcast. guys how are we all doing gary how are you i'm good man it's great to be here thanks very much perfect davy yeah excited man I'm, I'm doing very well looking forward excellent and robin yeah very good happy to be here perfect okay guys let's get into today's uh, podcast can corona end pay to fly uh, firstly i think we should uh, say what we mean by pay to fly is defined in its basic form as when pilots assume duty whilst paying to do so or paying for their training to do so the 21st century pilots have been asked not only to assume the entire cost of their initial training, but in the majority of cases since 2007, they have also been asked to bear the cost of their airline type specific training. And in some more extreme cases, they've also been required to work for free or even to pay to work in order to gain employment and build up experience. Guys, what does pay to fly mean to you? Well, for me, um, I've seen it in different ways. Pay to fly, it can be in the form of a bond. Um, I think that's a traditional pay to fly. Uh, but the bond can be in time or money. Um, I've had uh, my first bond was money. Um, and the it was a loan um, taken out on behalf of my name um, to pay for the, the, uh, the training. And then the company paid it back. So if I left, they'd stop paying the money in. But it can also be time, uh, in which case, if you leave within a certain time, they'll obviously deduct uh, within within the time frame of that bond. They'll deduct what you've uh, a fraction of what you've what's remaining or what would have been remaining at that time. You've also got bank loans um, um, in terms of uh, going out and just getting the money yourself and um, having it uh, say salary deducted. And, and just being solely responsible, I think in I think in from from my experience as well, there were things like bank guarantees. But in the UK, you'll never see that. Um, when uh, there was a time when I joined an airline, they asked me about a bank guarantee, just various different types of uh, pay to fly. But then it goes on beyond there. Whether you're paying for your uniform, whether you're you're you know whether you're paying for. Um, accommodation how much how much you as an employee quote unquote are actually funding into actually doing that job yeah what about you robin what was your first experience uh yeah like gary said uh, the different types of pay to fly my first experience in aviation was um, with money i had to pay my own first type rating in the first airline but basically that gave me the first opportunity to, to actually work. So at the time I was 19, so you're very keen on, uh, on flying, get up in the air, get the flight hours. And that's how they basically uh, sell the package to you. Like, but at least I could sign a, a full-time contract with the company. 
So it was just pay for the initial training and then at least you were you were in the company so you didn't have to worry anymore about anything else about applying. So for me it, at the time it was a no-brainer because then you get a fixed contract but uh, unfortunately the company went bankrupt after one year so it was an investment anyway. But for me at the time it worked and I could get an extra bank loan but I can assume that uh, not everyone can, can afford this in the beginning of their career or the bank will agree to that additional to your already quite high uh, loan you got from the from the school you know so you just finished flight school and then you have to take an additional loan so not all the banks agree on that but with me they did so for me it worked out in the beginning so and what about you david yeah i think i've been in a similar situation as gary and robin like uh my first job i had to self-sponsor the type rating which was quite a popular type so for me i saw it as an investment and of course i was like a very naive 20 year old just very keen to get into an airline and start flying um it was with a, with a good company with a, with a solid foundation so i thought it was worth the money in the end it turned out as a good good investment because i got a nice first job out of it and made the money back quite quickly but it doesn't go for everybody like that in some forms of pay to fly where people have to pay ridiculous amounts of money for an x amount of hours and then they basically be made redundant just get kicked out and they're on the market having hardly any experience, which in my opinion doesn't make them super attractive for other employers. So it's it's a bit of a mixed feeling for me. It, it, it really depends where and when and how they do it, like what the future prospects to it are. So it's, 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 a, it's a tough subject. It, it really depends like what the total package is. Yeah, it's it's quite crazy. I mean, I'm sort of thinking back to it now, like my first experience I was with a um, very popular European airline from the very beginning of it, we also had to pay just to go for the assessment. Um, and then it's, it's, it starts from there. It takes, it takes months after you've paid for the assessment, you get the job offer and then you're required to, to pay for the type rating yourself and then also pay for your accommodation while you're doing all of your training until you're released to fly without a safety pilot. So in my case, it took almost six months while even working for a company without getting paid. And I have seen like some of these, I think what we all know about some of these ones in the US or in um, Latin America that are charging, actually charging you to go to work for six months, which is, um, it seems absolutely crazy, but it's so difficult to, to compound with the investment that you've made in, in the first place, because once you've paid that debt, or once you, sorry, once you've taken that debt, you, you have to find a way to pay it back, right? So it seems like airlines have really try to sort of take advantage of that. Um, but of course, you know, uh, also what's happened, they've also been ravaged by 9-11 and by the recessions and volcanoes and drones and Gatwick and all these type of things. But um, yeah, it's, it's hard to see how the concept is um, sustainable with everything that's happened, so on and so forth. Well, yeah. Um... I think in my experience, um, because I've been, I've been involved in business finance as well. I think contrary to many other jobs, I think, uh, flying in this job is really to be looked at as a, it's, it's getting to that way where you're really looking at more of a, of a business perspective. Whereas, you know, it, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Um, unfortunately, the, the thing about a business is that a business can make infinite amount, potentially infinite amount of money. 
um, if you know how to market right and if you know how to, to, to you know, I mean, look at, I mean, I, know it's, I mean, looking at extremities, looking at Google, uh, Facebook, how they've made money. The problem is when you've got, w- with our jobs, you've got limited uh, remuneration availability. So you're probably looking in the range, I mean, if you take the legacy carriers, you're looking in the range of, say, 100, maybe 120,000 when you're at the top end. In terms, let's just say pounds, 120 grand. But you're starting at the lower end, maybe 40 grand. I mean, I started on a salary in a turboprop industry on about 920,000, 19,20,000 in terms of salary. Now, I think, I think the problem you've got there is when you're investing in a business, your potential for return is, poten- is infinite if you put the work in. But with flying, it's difficult to do that because you can't, you're you're investing even no matter how much you put into it no matter how much work and time and investment you put into it the remuneration is always going to really be capped you're not you're always going to be on that salary you you can't just go to the the director of the company say oh yeah well i've been flying more i've been doing this so pay me more money it doesn't work like that no that's i think that's a really good point gary as well which is that like also salaries of pilots are not uh, generally based on experience and I think in a lot of countries in Europe, when you when you go through to work somewhere, your salary is calculated on, on your age and your time of employment and work experience. Whereas in aviation, I've almost never seen that. My, my most recent job, that was the case. Uh, the starting salary was dependent on, um, on your previous experience and age. But I think that's perhaps uh, only in the Netherlands and maybe Germany is the only place I've heard of that in Europe. But it's, um, I mean, according to Bauper, the average pilot salary in the UK is fifty-six thousand pounds per year. That's the average pilot salary. So, I mean, for every pilot who's earning a hundred grand or hundred and twenty thousand pounds, there's a guy earning twenty thousand pounds, basically. And we're talking the investment. I mean, um, we're talking basically a bare minimum investment of almost six figures. Would that be fair to say nowadays? Yeah, I mean, the the but then then the problem you have now is. Again, it's like business, you know, business, if you know, businesses tend to make more money when you've got what's called economies of scale. So if you're if you're able to market more products, for example, in a business, then the decline in one product won't affect the 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 rise in another. So you can still make money. Unfortunately, in this area, you're investing money into one entity, which is flying. If you're not flying, you're not making money, Um, you know, so. You're, it's like a, a one-ended um, way you're doing. You're trying to you're trying to invest into something where if you can't fly, like now in coronavirus, COVID nineteen, no one's flying. Okay, yeah, there are people flying if you're at the top end of the seniority list on a legacy carrier. But if you're not, there's no money, and and then the investment is just null and void. It just doesn't mean. Yeah. So basically, the only way to to get a salary increase is to change company. So that's what people do. They just keep looking for the better salary and it, it goes in movements. Then at one stage, Germany has the highest salary. Then the Middle East has a lot of new companies. And then all the people are going to the Middle East. It's like like a movement with the initial people who started with pay to fly. They started their initial company and then they find out that, I mean, the company eventually doesn't pay enough. They gain experience. Then they follow the flow, like with the bigger companies with the higher salaries. And then at one stage, they want to go back from the Middle East to earn a little bit less in Europe. So it's like a constant movement of finding the balance, like, how can I pay back my loan? Uh, where's the highest sell? Where's the highest salary at the moment? So that's that's the thing what people do in aviation. I, I found out it's like a movement of following the money and f- finally hoping to come back 
home in, in the next couple of years, you know, maybe 20, 25 years, then settle down with your family. But that's always a gamble because you can never know when you can come back. Yeah, it, it, it seems like it's, it's always in waves, right? It's like everyone's following the wave and hoping to catch the crest of a good wave and ride it out for five, 10 years to really to make it worth the investment. Because I mean, if we're saying the average salary is, is 56,000 pounds in the UK, once you've paid back your flight loans every year for say 10 years, the first 10 years you're earning basically a graduate salary. That's the, the realistic point of view. You're earning more like 30,000 pounds a year once you've paid it back. So it seems like it seems like a lot of us, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I started flight training about 10 years ago, 10, 12 years ago. So it's sort of hitting that point now where you've just about sort of paid back your investments. And now you're looking to try to uh, build pensions, which is definitely something which is, I think is a very big problem in the, for the pilot industry right now, especially with jumping between airlines, trying to sort of follow these waves. It's really difficult to, to build up any kind of pension in a company or in, even in a country. I think I have paid into pension schemes in seven different European countries which uh, means that, you know, it's pretty much worthless by the time I retire, unless I get lucky and stay in one for 25 years. But we basically must assume our own pension personally. And then beyond that, uh, like Robin, you said you started when you were 19. I started also in the airlines when I was 20. Like, can we do this until we're 67 is a big question. Can we work 47 years in an airline in a, in a basically at that height with radiation? I'm not sure. So I'm planning financially, I'm trying to plan to retire at 55, at least from full-time aviation, just for health. But yeah, coronavirus maybe is a slight tickler for that, but we shall see. Yeah, I mean, if you look at that, what well, Boeing has done a few years ago, I think they came up with some research that if you stop flying at 60 as an airline pilot, you have a normal life expectancy. And if you continue to 65, it, it drops very quick to like yeah, 70, think, 71. Most guys have retired. two years. Yeah, I think most guys have retired at 65. They, they don't live past 70. Like, the, the, the bodies just collapse and they just, they but, just go. It's, it's crazy. So, in this way, you can, you can say Corona can be a positive thing as well. Pilots can see it as a sabbatical. It's like a recharge the battery, you know, less radiation. Yeah. And see the family for a year. I mean, there, there are some things that, you know, that you can. Well, I think, I think it's only... It's only positive if, um, again, you've got a backup. Um, I think as time's gone on, you need something. I start to realise that you, you, people are looking to have a, a, se- a second way, a method of income, because you, you just can't rely on it like you could do 30 years ago, you know. Um, and, you know, I mean, I've, I've, said, I, I've, I've been in finance uh, to try and make put money aside that's difficult enough trying to start business that's difficult enough and you're flying 100% of the time so it's it's all well and good for health but it it stops the fine unless you've got something behind you as a livelihood you're a sitting duck financially yeah i mean if you if you look at the, the company i was in previously like a lot of like captains uh, let's let's say middle age like early 40s like a lot of them there are you know, getting into investments, buying property, you know, shares, ISS, this, this kind of stuff, because they even told me, like, if I lose my job now, like, there's no reason I can, like, pay everything off. Like, everybody is up in their neck in mortgages and car payments and this kind of stuff. You know, you know what airlines are like tomorrow, they can give you a call, like, look, we don't need you any longer, we're going into liquidation, and there you are. Because 
I found out myself, like, when I was put aside, you won't find a job as easy. They'll see, like, oh, you're a pilot. Like, why are you applying to work at McDonald's? Like, and the first question they ask, like, if we can give you, if somebody gives you a flying job, will you go back? And they say, yeah, of course. Like, I'm not going to lie to you. So it, it's, it's like a circle and you can't escape from it. And this is what Gary said about return on investment. I mean, you're, you're, you're investing in your, your pilot career, which is just one specialty. You're not like all rounds in the market in general in the world. So you just invest at one small point. It's like gambling in a casino at one number, you know? So if you don't become a pilot with, with the money you invested, then what are you going to do? So that, that's the problem as well. You have to reconsider when you're doing pay to fly. Like, okay, this is just the one option I'm investing in. What else am I going to do? But I think, I think the problem, and I think a lot of pilots forget this, we keep talking about return on the investment, but I think the nostalgia comes into it. Now, if you go into a casino, or if you start a business, or if you get into finance, the return is money. That's what you're looking to return, even if it's a gamble. The return is money. In our industry, it's that feel of being able to fly. You know, you're, you know, you, you 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 want that feeling of being able to do the job you've always wanted to do that that's that's bigger you know people don't people don't go and fly planes um for the money but unfortunately because it's so much money the return you're getting you have to remember people forget about the money involved unfortunately no it's i mean this is also something which i think it's fair to say that airlines um and flight schools have, have played upon a bit I mean, if we take a recently um, a recent example, you see all over LinkedIn and Twitter, you have this uh, things with red nose warriors, right? This is to do with uh, Norwegian, and like it's it's playing into the psychology a lot of this. It's um, trying to yeah to get people. I think they're playing on this real dream. You know, this is a dream to be a pilot. This dream to be an aviation professional, and of course, it is for a lot of us. But um, I think sometimes, especially with investments and with finance and business, you, you also have to think dispassionately. And I think a lot of us have been guilty of thinking more passionately about this than, um, than dispassionately. Okay, guys. Well, I think that, that takes us uh, into the sort of next topic that we wanted to discuss, which is I mean, the, the point of today's podcast is to ask, can Corona end pay to fly? So we looked a little bit about what pay to fly is, but now I think we're, we're sitting at a, a sort of cusp of an industry of, of, a, of a point of our career. So the question is now, what, what do we think the effect will be of uh, Corona um, in relation to pay to fly and type ratings uh, for a career pilot versus uh, a new, newly graduated pilot? So, uh, for example, for a career pilot who already has made a lot of investments in his career and he's used to a certain type of salary, so he built up a big mortgage and uh, a lot of costs he has in his life, he cannot afford to, to pay again for training so later on in his career. And uh, for the new pilot, I think even if they even have to have their own money to pay for the ratings because I think that the banks, they really... A negative now against the aviation so i don't think banks will just give out loan for any pay to fly at the moment so i think it will be difficult to uh, to sustain the pay to fly for the companies at the moment what do you think uh, gary yeah i mean again it goes back to this whole kind of business idea in terms of career pilot you you can only throw money at the wall so many times 
um, you know, and and sooner or later it either has to stick or or not. Um, you know, some people just don't have the means to keep on taking money to do it again and again. New pilot, <laughs> I think there has to be serious considerations. I mean, again, imagine you're starting up a business. You're not going to start up a business in a market that isn't making money. Um, and, and, and you have to be intelligent in that point in perspective. You have to think with an open mind. You know, whenever you're running a product, you don't, you, you have to, it has to be viable. The question I have then, of course, with that is uh, just to put the sort of play a devil's advocate and counter to that is that has anything actually changed for a prospective um, new pilot? Because if you take someone who, say, has just recently graduated in Corona time, has anything changed for them uh, in relation to this than it did from what they would have assumed would be the case once they started their training? Uh, I think before all of this hit, aviation wasn't in too bad of a place. There were some decent openings for people just graduating from flight school without having to take on a pay-to-fly scheme, let's say you, you fly 500 hours for 50 grand. You know, of course, most companies will still ask you to like self-sponsor your type rating or some kind of bond, but I don't think there was that many like practice around like, oh, we'll take you on and then you have to pay your own type rating plus a fee for ground training and in the end we'll give you six months on the line and then that's that's it so do you do you think yeah do you think that those that um most people unless they were on one of these airline um sponsored or self-sponsored schemes do you think most people were actually still expecting to have to sponsor themselves for a type rating yeah probably yes because that has been around for a long time so i think most people should have realized that that was a bit of like well i don't want to call it the norm but a thing that happened in a lot of places at the moment and in that time yeah and there's so many pilots on the market at the moment due to the corona so there's always someone willing to pay for their rating so i think companies can just sustain this pay to fly thing i think there'll be have to be a lot of rethinking but there'll always be a market for it essentially because i ended up for it as a story i ended up in um I saw a link to uh, and signed up for it, uh, what it said, airline careers. And I thought, oh, wow, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm out of a job now. I'm looking for a career, so I'll go and see what that webinar is about. I ended up in a flight training. Uh, they, they badly uh, worded it, and I ended up in a flight training training webinar. And I was sitting there with a lot, lot of potential trainees. And I know we're talking about, I know we're talking about going into the job and the type rating, but the point is, the way, the way a training organization will market it in, in, in a downturn like this is they say, oh, well, by the time you've come out of the downturn, we'll be great. It, you know, there'll be jobs. And then the way they market it in the upturn is they'll say, oh, everything's great. And it's just it's a complete, constant, um, rose-tinted uh, glasses situation. And I think it's the same thing in going into an employment. You know, you, you're, you're constantly, um, they're always going to be able to market it and say, well, you know, come work for us. And then in a year's time, when all the vaccines come out and everything, you'll be working. Yeah. I mean, I also think that that's an interesting question as to, as to what airlines will be looking for, because I think part of the thing that flight schools, uh, flight training providers will be able to advertise is, if you look historically, um, one of the biggest concerns I have is that uh Airlines such as um, Europeans' favorite airline, shall we say, uh, they've historically, especially after these periods of time, only taken cadets. Um, 
And part of that, I think, is because they want to to sell the type rating and they want to sell a training and they, they, they sell it in the sense that they say, we prefer to take cadets because they are easy to mold to their style rather than take a career pilot who then has to be retrained to their way of, of flying or operating. And also, coincidentally, those are the airlines that will have the money and will attempt to um, expand on the markets that they have or that have been created or that have been taken away because of airlines disappearing. So that's also a concern I have, which is that the effects of corona will be even greater for those who have already been working as a pilot versus a new pilot, respectively. Of course, I think there will always be positions for captains um, and training captains, especially, uh, who will be able to come in and work as captains, like direct entry. But for first officers specifically, I wonder, uh, I fear that it's going to be more of a problem if you're not able to get back to your old job. Um, are you actually able, how are you, are you going to be competing if, say, an airline, an established low-cost operator wants to take another 200 pilots next summer? Are they going to take cadets over experienced pilots, especially in, in light of what we're talking about now, is can career pilots afford to invest in a new type rate? So I think it's a really uh, strange dynamic that we're going to enter, and it's, it's one which does give me a little bit of fear, to be honest. Yeah, well, jumping in on that, and this was about two, two and a half years ago, I was approached by actually, uh, well, semi-daughter carrier of a legacy carrier to join them. Um, that was on a different type than I was on at the moment, but I've flown that type before. And I said, yeah, we, we can always talk. And what they offered me, um, because I didn't fly that type for over a year, to basically go on the same pay scale as the guys they would hire straight from flight school, I have to do the, the rating again. And basically, I would have to start all over again. So I, I told them, like, do you think this is, is honest? Like, would you, why offering this to a guy with nearly 4,000 hours experience? Do you think this is like acceptable? They said, yeah, this is all we can offer. I, said, I think it was pretty like a slap in the face to me. And I politely declined. I was like, look, we're not on the same page, so I'm going to decline and I wish you all the best. But I felt like almost harassed by it. And now you have as well that you have, uh, that you have captains, they, without a job, they're willing to sit in the right seat. You know, they, they, they're not looking for the left seat position anymore on the fly deck, but they're looking for any position in the fly deck with the corona. So uh, in that perspective, maybe they are willing to to pay the type rating because they just make the risks, you know, like if, I, if I'm not started flying now at my age, you know, there's no more chance anymore to fly at all. So maybe they will even reconsider paying you type rating for it. Well, I, I don't know about that. I think without like guys like us, you know, we've all had a lot of experience between us. Um, and I think those, those rose tinted goggles kind of fall off when, when, you know, that, that kind of, after a certain period of time and I don't in my experience I think that's few and far between I don't think you'll have captains with decent levels of experience going out and paying for type ratings they just won't I, I can't see that I, I, I maybe a sum if they're really really eager but I think after a while it wears off yeah maybe they maybe they're maybe they're willing to renew the old fly uh, old type of planes they were flying before you know that that's but still, it's it's quite an investment to renew the type you were flying a few years back. You know, it's not the same price as a type rating, but still, it's an investment in your career. 
I think a lot of people are willing to do that at least. Well, it's also a question of what people can afford to do, because the other thing is that when we talk about captains versus first officers, uh, if you take into a line captains' salaries, they're not going to be able to find jobs outside of aviation. Captain salaries will not be able to find jobs that are comparable with pay. First officers, even, is still a massive struggle to do that. Um, it's more possible, but it's still very, very unlikely. And how about flexibility? I mean, when you're just coming from the flight school and you never had a airline job, you're more willing to take another job in the meanwhile because you never really experienced and taste the freedom of being an aviator. So you're easier to, to, to work as a delivery guy or I mean, with all due respect, but as a captain, if you've been flown for like 30 years, you're, you're not willing to, to take a step back, you know? So maybe you were earlier... Uh, you have more intention to just invest in a new type rating and even to move, you know, and commute with your family. So, because you have less motivation to go back to do another job. I think there's a big misconception at the moment in terms of wh whether you're either a new or a career pilot. And I think that misconception is, there's a, I mean, there's actually a lot of jobs going. There's a lot of jobs being advertised. I've applied for over 50, 60 jobs um, in, in our role. Um, so there's, there's jobs, but they're looking for interest. You know, I don't hear, I mean, there, you get the odd ones of people, you know, going off and doing things, but generally it's to gauge interest because you're not going to, no one's going to recruit. The, I mean, look at the airlines that are still flying that didn't, um, didn't yield to the COVID so far. They've furloughed their guys. So they're going to go back to those guys first and then they're going to might look externally. But until these lockdowns finish, I think it's a big misconception to, you know, in this whole, oh, there's going to be a job in December because we'll, we'll be flying in December. I mean, our government's talking about going into another lockdown in, in the winter. Um, you know, we're just talking about coming out of it. And they say, oh, well, but we might end up going into another lockdown in December. And an airline is going to go, oh, well, what's the point in taking pilots? You know, I mean, so I think there, I think there needs to be a bit of realisation between both new and career pilots that as well, that this isn't going away too quickly. Yeah, like, like you said, um, there is a lot of like job advertisements. And like you said, it is interest. Um, there's even some scammers around that advertise jobs and have people try to apply and then steal personal information and this kind of stuff or money or whatever. So it's always like when there's a crisis, some people are trying to make money out of it in the wrong ways, like with scams and stuff. And of course, airlines are trying to gauge interest because if they see, oh, we got like thousands of applicants, we can drive conditions down because people will take it. You, you see it happening here and there, so you have to be like very cautious with where you apply and how you apply. But just leading on from what Davey said about scamming, I mean, I was in that a few weeks ago. Um, I was, and, and it's very easy to fall into. You know, I, I, you know, it might be very easy to go, oh, well, I can see that coming a mile off. No, I, I actually did the full thing. I, I, I had a 26 question, and I thought, well, you know, obviously they've, they're busy. It's COVID. I can't go there for an interview. So they sent me all the application forms. I gave them my passport information as any normal airline would. And it was a corporate airline that I thought in, in Abu Dhabi, which actually does exist. The person does exist, but they were being impersonated. The HR was being impersonated. And I did spent literally one o'clock in the afternoon till five the next morning doing 26 competency based questions. They told me I had the job. I signed the contract. It was the aircraft they had, nothing, any, for, for, for a Middle Eastern corporate airline, in terms of perks, nothing you wouldn't expect out of the normal. 
Uh, it was it was supposed to be hard grafting, hard work, but good salary. And and just as I signed it, I realised that. In fact, it was a friend outside of the industry that actually pointed me out, and and, and then I started to look into it and realised it was a scam. Yeah, I I think as I, I would like to go on to another topic now, which uh, is something I think is really interesting. Going on what we've been talking about, um, we we've been looking a little bit at like. Um, how is this going to work from us from a pilot perspective? Um, how aviation may restart or what the possibilities are. But my, my question with this is, um, we, the majority of us, majority of pilots within Europe have basically not flown for over a year at this stage. Um, if we're talking, you know, like if people don't get back to work in this summer, then probably this winter is going to be a low season and may even involve lockdowns and large restrictions. So we're talking potentially spring next year for the majority of unemployed pilots to be getting back to work. Um, we're talking almost two years then, really, of flying. Maybe LPCs have been done, but realistically of, of that amount. So in terms of like an ATO from a training perspective, like how much, even if, okay, you will pick it up quickly, especially if it's type and flown before, but to get to a level of... Um, to be able to uh, get to, a, say, an airline level of competency to fly that aircraft with their procedures and so forth, is the actual cost of that for an airline comparable to a type rating? To, to be fair, like most of the procedural SOP training can be done on like the fixed-based training devices, which is, of course, a massive cost-saving. And even pre-COVID, moving from one airline to another, they, they always make you do an OCC course to like brush you up to whatever standard they'd like. So I think it's more like probably during the selection process when you do your sim, then they're probably already going to see like what kind of level you're up to. And probably from there, they will assess like, is this guy going to be able to do our course within this time frame without any additional training? So I think it already starts as soon as you send the application out. Like you have to be just ready, like sit at home. Like if you're on a Boeing, make sure you, you know the Boeing procedures like, and then just be ready to jump. And yeah, that's, that's all you can do. And from other training perspectives like we all have to do like you know dangerous goods uh, first aid all this kind of stuff again so it's going to be very interesting to see yeah and i think uh, you didn't have to do this before basically you never had to fill in your date of last flight i mean it wasn't really a requirement for any airlines in the good times but probably now in every assessment you have to fill in your date of last flight in general and maybe they will even select on that you know like oh we, we need guys who at least flown the last two years or six months or that can make a big difference for a lot of people as well. Okay, guys. So uh, for our for our last um, subject uh, topic for this uh, this podcast, um, what do we think? What do we think is next for pilots and for recent graduates? What do we think also for us? Like, what 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 are we going to do now? What do we think our next six twelve months is going to hold? Yeah, for me. Uh... Personally, I wouldn't invest in a whole new type rating again because I did three type ratings already in my career. I think that should be suffice. Um, I am willing though to renew my old ratings, which is like a considerably smaller investment than paying a whole new type rating. But to have two valid type ratings on your license, including the, the old one and the new one, I think it's, it could be worth your investment for me personally, just to, just to, to stood out to it from the ground. Yeah. I think I think for me, for example, I'm looking at what's I, I'm in the middle. I'm prepared to spend a little bit, but at the same time, 
I'm looking for, if I can, and I would say this to anyone, if you can get your governments to, if you're on, say, a job seekers or anything like that, to try and fund into it because it's removing any sort of barriers to employment because that is your career. For anyone that's new or career, I would seriously think about it. Um, think about where, what the prospect of where it would be, where we are with COVID at the moment versus where we could be in uh, six months' time and to really think about whether the investment will be worth it if you are prepared to invest in it yourself. David? Um, it's, I think personally, I've, I've kept my recent rating alive and I am thinking about getting my expired one back. But then on the other end, if I get one now, um, if I don't get a job within this year, it's going to be double the cost next year. So I will wait a little bit to see what the market will do and of course if if a, if a company will say yeah we'll hire you but you have to like revalidate the rating self-sponsored of of course we'll consider it depending on the circumstances i'm in at that moment i mean it's, it's hard to predict anything now like things change so quickly it's 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 hard to say yes or no now for me i, I will like assess situations at the moment and make a decision based on there ideally i don't want to spend like a lot of money again because of course there's already a lot of money involved and i'm nearly done paying it off and I don't want to start over again like the similar position you're in Tim yeah one thing I would I would prefer to see in a, a little bit going back to what we were discussing before the, the, the length and the amount of training that almost all pilots will need to get back whether you've been current whether you've kept yourself license valid that I would actually have to see the aviation authorities come a little bit involved in this and um basically they're making some kind of decision as to what amount of training they think pilots will need. But more than that, my, my concern is that basically people who are able to afford to keep their license valid um, will have priority in the job market. And we've also seen some, some other schemes um, from certain uh, contract pilot, contract providers for airlines, for pilots, who are basically asking people to sign up to their specific company, invest a large amount of money so they can have first priority for, for jobs. And I would hope the aviation authorities themselves might start to get involved in, in, in that side of things and saying, okay, guys, no matter what, if you haven't flown in a flight, if you haven't been in an actual airplane for six months, then there should be some kind of situation where the training is going to be the same. So perhaps we shouldn't be prioritizing those who have been paying for to keep their licenses valid. And um, I would prefer not to invest money at this stage because having just spent the last 10 years paying it all back the first time, I'm really reluctant to spend any kind of money. And I would hope the aviation authorities maybe will find uh, a ways to, to help pilots. True. But then again, airlines who are willing to hire, they ask for valid ratings, you know? They don't. Uh, they don't allow you to apply, even if you have an expired rating. And uh, but do but does anybody have a valid rating right now? I think yeah. I think many do. I mean, at least I do. Yeah. Okay, but 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 that's my but that's my question. Is is do, do you actually have a valid rating? I mean, on paper you have a valid rating. Yeah. But but you're not you're not ready to fly. To, yeah. No, I get what you say. That's my like, point. You, you've you're got, not current. You've done an LPC. That doesn't mean you're current. Like, yeah, you show you can fly the thing on one engine and bring it back alive, but you haven't been to the exposure of being in the actual fly deck, which we all know is like completely different to a set scenario in a simulator. I don't. I think that's something that that I, airline. I mean, 
you're talking about you're talking about line training and, and uh, full OCC. I mean, um, operational conversion course. You, I don't I don't think anyone can 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 because you don't even know who you're going to be working for if you end up working for anyone. I don't, you can only anticipate just keeping the rating on the license. You can't go and start pretending you're flying passengers. Yeah, but my, my, my point is that I don't think any of us, unless you've been operating an aircraft in the last six months, none of us are actually current. That, that's my point. So like, I think the aviation authorities or even airlines can, can have a perspective to say, look, actually, we should be looking at how much someone's flown an aircraft, not whether their license is still valid because they've done... If you're talking about like we're talking about flying a seven three again, we haven't flown it for a number of years, but we can go to a, a training provider and for fifteen hundred euros we can get our seven three rating back again. Okay, we are not proficient on a seven three. We're not at a, a, a high enough standard to fly an aircraft with passengers. That's that's the truth. So so my my point is that we should actually not we should we shouldn't be doing this in my personal opinion. And I'm not saying that anyone I'm not criticizing anyone for doing it. I'm saying that, you know, in normal times, if you were out of a job for six months or a year, that would make sense. Okay. But in this particular time, we're doing it only, we're not doing it to stay current on an aircraft. We're doing it to increase our possibilities of getting a job. And the actual truth is that none of us are current and have the the recency to operate an airline. And we all know, like most of us, we've never flown. Most of us are Boeing rated. We haven't flown airbuses. We know that in an emergency situation, we can go up and we can probably get an airbus on the ground. Maybe even with one engine, we can get it on the ground. You know, no problem. But we're not current on that aircraft. And, and this, this, is my, this is my real point, is that I don't think there should be a prioritization for those who are, who are doing, who are paying for an LPC. I don't think that burden should be on us. It's not as for us as pilots, actually. That's for the airlines. So this all comes back to pay to fly in all perspectives. What are, why should that burden be on us to keep our licenses, our medicals current when we're not working and we're not going to be working? But then how, how are you going to change the requirements from airlines who plan to hire pilots? Because their requirements is to have a valid license on type with a valid medical. So you cannot even apply when you're not valid or current. Well, I mean, all I'd say, all I'd say is we're in uncharted waters at the moment. And I think, I think... If anyone, whatever anyone's thinking to do, I think it's time to really start looking at your career as a business um, before just going out and spending money, spending money, spending money. That being said, if it's not going to put you in, a, in serious financial hindrance, should something happen? It's like it's like going into a casino. People say afford what you can afford. Sorry, only bet what you can afford to lose. I say only be only pay what you are prepared to lose. And what I mean by that is make sure you have a plan in case it all goes wrong. If it costs a thousand pounds and it's you might not work out, make sure you have that grand somewhere or be able to make it back quickly. Be prepared to lose it. Um, have a plan. Treat it as a business because that's what it is. You need to treat it the same way the airline treats their business. You need to treat your career as a business. Don't just go spend 30 grand for nothing. Yeah, and uh, come back to your point, Tim. How, how do you expect airlines then to to recruit their people when they expect you to have a valid license? I mean, you think the authorities should, should step in and go to the airline saying you cannot just um, accept people for assessments with a valid license? Well, I think as as as, as Gary said, this is completely uncharted time, and and the, the fact is that we don't have we don't have the vast majority of pilots flying right now 
in the air. The vast majority of pilots are grounded. They're not flying and they're not flying. Even if they are flying, they're not flying anywhere near the regularity that they were before. So this is completely uncharted. And I don't see how, um, from an airline's perspective, what is the difference between somebody who has stopped flying a year ago, who has, because their COVID has ended their flying career or has temporarily postponed it, what is the difference between that person and who has stopped flying in March and has come up to March this year and one has revalidated their license, doing the pure basic of what's required to do that, and the one who hasn't? That person, I don't, I don't see the difference between those two people. And there's no difference. Actually, the company gets the same level of pilots and they, need to, they require the same amount of training anyway to be ready for the line check. At the end, it's all, exactly. at the, end, it's all the same training. I agree on that. Exactly. Yeah. So, so in the end of it, why, why place the burden on pilots? So if the Aviation Authority can step in and say that you don't have to have your license valid right now, it's, it's, it's not that these things aren't set in stone. They aren't actual laws. This is, the, this is the way, this is the new way, the new normal, right, that we're going into now. So actually, this is the time, if there is any time, that we have to start thinking about the future, not the past. So I don't see, I, my personal opinion is, is if you've got someone with 2,000 hours on type who haven't worked for a year, both candidates and one who have done a type uh, LPC and one who haven't, there is no difference. There is no difference in training. The only difference is the amount that that person has invested extra. So I think there is a way to, to stop that now because especially, as, as Davey says, we don't know when you're going to be able to use that license again. So that risk, that burden is being placed on pilots for, for no reason. Uh, it helps the economy because it puts more money back into it. But I don't see the logic of it. And my personal opinion is that's what has to change. Yeah, you're, you're actually right. But, but on the other hand, they also see this LPC renewal to, to come back in aviation to keep up your skills. Because with a possible assessment, you will have to do an assessment again. And if you just done your LPC two months ago, you're a little bit more into it. You know what I mean? You can you can stand out doing yeah. doing the assessments, yeah. Although I would counter that by saying that I got a job offer to fly the aircraft that I'm flying, and I didn't do a simulator assessment because you're you're a high roller. You're awesome. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, I'm just kidding. But it's not it's not it's not a requirement to do a simulator. There is no requirement to do a simulator. Oh, is that, is that what you mean? Oh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, not not all. So then, why is the? But most companies do it, right? It's like a sim check. Yeah, it, for sure. But it's not a requirement. And you, you know what you're going to get from, from guys. I mean, when, for, I mean, from my own experience, I did some airline recruitment. And um, when we're looking at a simulator, we're very, a very tiny part of it is actually flying an airplane. It's the competencies and skills of uh, the ICAO competencies that you're looking at. So, so actually, you, you don't really need to see someone in a sim. It's for your own perspective. But especially... From a risk management wise, if you're if you need a certain number of pilots and you have X number of experienced pilots, then you can hire them about a simulator session. That's not the case when it comes to cadets, of course. I think listening to Robin and listening to Tim, I think that is ideal because Tim, you're I, 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 you're in a situation where you have connections in in your position. You, you could potentially, assuming the airlines you're or the airline that you're connected with uh, resumes post COVID or coming out of it, there is a position for you. Is that is that probably yeah? And Robin, yeah, likely there is. Robin, 
you're you don't you're not in that position, I assume. You're you're you're, you're you, well. I mean, what's what's your situation? Is, is the if the do you have something that is potentially there if we come out of COVID? Who knows? I really don't. I know. think that's yeah. that's key here. I think you've got a split, the haves and the have-nots, and I think it's it's if if you're in a position where you know. It's like it's like the, you know. It's, forget the airline industry; it's every industry. You know, COVID's for, for people that couldn't, um, you know, whose livelihoods have been destroyed. They're not agreeing with lockdown. You know, uh, I don't agree with lockdown personally, but uh, you know that's political. But for those whose livelihoods haven't necessarily been impacted too much, they're gonna agree with things like that. And and I think this is where you've got to look at it from a, a strategic, tactical mind and. And, and, and play it um, like a business because it can't, obviously there may have to be something where there's some, for those who don't have something that they can rely on after this, that they have, they're on there, they're on their backs against the wall. They might, there might have to be some investment, but it can't be so much that it will, it will completely cripple you if it all goes, um, all goes to pieces. No, but I mean, if, if you don't earn any money, even 1,500 euros to validate a license is too much money, in my opinion. But uh, unless you can get it helped by the government, of course. So that's where government and aviation authorities. But I would have to say, like, I'm, I'm not in a situation where I know I'm going back to a job. It's more that I've made a decision uh, personally that I'm not likely to, to take or to look for jobs which aren't. I'm, I'm hoping for to be able to go back to my previous company, but it's also a, a perspective of, I'm not willing to reinvest, really. Um, so I'm also kind of putting most of my eggs in one basket. But at the same time, it's, I'm still in the same situation because I have no guarantee of going back to work. And I would like to still continue to be a pilot. That's my number one aim. But I'm not willing to do it at all costs. And I think, that especially in cost terms, there is a, a potential reset. Like the, the topic of this is, can, you know, can Corona end pay to fly? And this is all, all of this is pay to fly. All of this, everything we're talking about, even just revalidating a license, an LPC, paying for an assessment to go to an airline, it's all pay to fly. And I think when you have, in my personal opinion, what's happened is Europe is so divided and so convoluted that everything in aviation has become complex and divided in terms of every possible aspect. but now we have one unifying thing, which is affecting all companies and all pilots pretty much to the same extent. There are the haves and the haves nots. There are those who still have jobs and don't. But if you take people who don't have jobs, even furloughed or non-furloughed, we're all in a very similar situation. So there is a time where something could actually change. And one thing that I personally think is that we have to see some change in this pay-to-fly side of things. And this is the time when the aviation authorities are actually all working on the same problem at the same time, which has never happened before. So, okay, can we can we go to to uh, to Brussels? Can we, as pilots, aviation authorities, come together and make some kind of sensible solution for what's going on now? But Tim, you 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 widen my perspective by saying that everything is paid to fly. Yeah, you're right. Even your renewing of the license is paid to fly, even though you don't have a job. Yeah, you're true, but. Uh, have we never been in this situation? I mean, with the financial crisis, people are also uh, renewing their licenses, right? Like you're wide on my perspective in, in seeing what is paid to fly. Like everything is paid to fly, including your own license. Even the medical can be your own paid to fly thing, you know? Yeah. 
it's all it's all paid to have the opportunity to fly. That's what's also uh, the situation now. It's not just paid to fly; it's paid to have the opportunity to fly right now and to to work, the opportunity to work. Um, and I think that of course we've had a financial crisis, um, and probably nine eleven is probably more akin to what we have now. But this is a time when all aviation authorities, all um, unions, all everything, all airlines are facing the same external threat to a certain amount, the same extent, not to a complete same extent, but almost to the same extent. So this is what I would consider a potential reset point and a potential time where we can actually look at what, what we can do and what we can change, but also not even necessarily what we have to change, but what we have to do going forward, actually, like. What can we do now? Because my, my real fear, my, my real issue, bugbear, is that the, the whole burden of corona from our license perspective and from our job opportunities gets placed on us in a financial perspective. And we have already invested so much and we have already um, experienced. So I personally would like to see a change to that coming now. True, but then again, you always have people who will do the opposite. So you need to rally up and be act as a act as one force, like you said, act as a union. Yeah, I mean, I tried to stay away from the union, <laughs> but maybe a, a guild. You know, it's it, but it's but the thing is, like, we've been with a whole community of Europe, but that's not, not going to work. But it's more like at some point, the the market will dictate it, right? How, how can you act together as as like one? Like I'm calling it a union, not like an official union, but all the pilots all over the world, they all have different situations, live in different countries, speak different languages. It's so different, difficult to to unionize and 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 make sure that the the pay to flight thing ends. You know? Yeah, and that's that's the thing is that it's not it's not going to come from a unity of pilots. Yeah. It's going to come from a, a market driven. You know, it, it's it's what um, it comes in. Like, I mean, we talk about this like. We can afford a thousand euros or one and a half thousand euros here. The honest truth is, like, I think well, none of us actually can, because if we don't have any income coming, we can't afford it. No. It's it's money that we don't have. So um, unless governments are willing to help, and that's also an option, if governments are willing to help keep our training current, that's one thing. But we always have this issue of, you know, what what do, what do governments do with their money? Like, do they give it to the airlines? How does that actually protect? The pilots, the employees, the cabin crew, everyone it doesn't really affect, doesn't really do anything for that. So I would prefer to see governments looking to help to, to individual pilots, but that's uh, that's something else. But I think from there is a, a possibility that the um, aviation authorities can say that um, everyone is going to require X amount of training. So it's up to you, up to the airlines to prove to the um, to the aviation authorities that the level of training they provide. Uh, what what that is required and uh, to go from there. Um, okay, guys, I think that's that's pay to fly, pay to have the opportunity to fly, pay to work um, for today. Uh, guys, it's been uh, it's been interesting. Thank you very much uh, for being uh, involved. Um, what we'd like to say to to all of you guys listening, first of all, thank you very much for listening to the podcast. Um, we really want to try to create. This is a, as a community of pilots, something for, for all of us to listen to. We, we've all found it. It's been really helpful to talk as a group of more than two pilots uh, during this time and because it is it is a difficult time for everyone. And what we want is, is to create a community and we want you guys to get involved, to uh, to send us messages, things you want us to discuss, things you think we're interested to discuss. And hopefully in the next few episodes, we're going to get some guests involved and uh, bring you some more content. So thank you very much for listening. 
Uh, Gary. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Robin. My pleasure. Thank you. And Davey. Yeah, thanks, guys. It was a lot of fun. Very interesting. I'll see you again soon. Bye. Guys, thank you very much. That was our podcast. See you next time.